Welcome to the Well Community Church, helping people take their next step toward Jesus together. I am grateful to Life Church, a church based in Oklahoma, for their permission to use this series. And it was a series they ran last year, starting in January, and they made it available to other churches to be able to use as a springboard uh, and a foundation um, for our own ministry. So they said that we don't have to give them credit for it, but I want to because while I've adapted this to fit our own context, to use my own voice, my own stories and illustrations, if you ever come across them online and you see that, hey, some of these main points are similar or the same, well, I just want you to know that that is why, because I am using their message as a foundation. So in a spirit of full transparency, uh, I just want to share that, but... My prayer, and I know they're praying too, is that God will move among us and help us take our next step to be closer to Jesus. So what do you think is the difference between people that are really fulfilled in life? And when I say really fulfilled, I mean they have a great and meaningful, um, they have great and meaningful relationships. Um, they have a strong sense of financial independence and freedom. They're generous with people around them. They're, they're fulfilled. They have meaningful ministries. They love their life. What do you think is the difference between those people and the rest of the world? Those who are struggling relationally or just trying to hold their marriage together, keep their kids off drugs. Those who are struggling financially and don't know that they could be generous. They want to be, but they don't feel like they can be. Those who know there's something more to life, but they can't quite find it. Those who feel empty. What do you think the difference is between those who are really fulfilled and the rest of the world who are so often struggling? Well, let me tell you what it's not. It's not what a lot of people think. The difference is not their intelligence, it's not their talent, it's not even their appearance. Because we've all seen smart people who are miserable. We've seen talented people who are broke. We've seen attractive people who can't hold a relationship. And you might even be thinking, yeah, I dated some of those, but no finger pointing. <laughs> but what do you think the difference is between those who are really making a difference, those who are really fulfilled, and the rest of the world? I would say this, that it all boils down to our decisions. It boils down to our decisions. Our decisions are incredibly and indescribably important. In fact, I would say it this way, that the quality of your decisions determines the quality of your life. That's huge. You make your decisions, and your decisions end up making you. But the problem is that most of us are not good decision makers, right? We want to eat right, but then we decide to eat more than we should. Or we drive by the golden arches, and we feel the call of the Big Mac. Again, no pointing fingers. <laughs> We want to be wise with our money, but then we buy things that we don't need or we just can't afford. We want to be wise with our words, but we make decisions, or, but then we say things that we regret. We want to do the right thing, but then we make decisions, and sometimes our decisions 
hurt those who we love the most. We want to be good decision makers, but the problem is most of us aren't. And in fact, I'll tell you a story of when I realized I wasn't a good decision maker. And if you've been part of the well for any length of time, you'll know that I have several of these stories in my back pocket. But while you might even have some of your own, let me share this one. One moment when I realized I'm not a good decision maker was when I decided to crazy carpet down the side of the escarpment. Over in the west end of Hamilton by, uh, what is it, the Shadok Golf Course over there, you'd think that I would look at it and think, yeah, I shouldn't do that. But no, my friends were all saying, that can't be done. And I wanted to show them that, hey, this can be done. And then you'd think that the moment that two of my friends were holding me upside down, each by one leg, getting me ready to drop down the side, you'd think at that point I realized, this isn't a good idea. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Even as I started hurtling down the side of the escarpment on the crazy carpet, I still wasn't thinking it was a bad idea. I'm thinking like, yes, this is possible. The moment I realized, oh man, I made a bad decision, was when I saw the walkway that actually went through the middle of the escarpment quickly approaching, and I realized, I'm either gonna stop dead in my tracks or I'm gonna get catapulted into the air. And into the air is the, the option that happened. It, I, I got launched about 25 feet in the air, my friends thought, and when I came down on my stomach, my spine went snap. And I ended up fracturing my L5 vertebrae in my spine. Um, man, my friends wanted me to do it again because they didn't have it on film, but I knew I was wise enough at that point, okay, that was a bad decision. But unfortunately, it took this painful endeavor to realize that, man, I'm not a good decision maker, and even my friends and those who I'm close to we're not good decision makers. Have you ever done something you regret? You, you just made a dumb decision. Well, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to talk about the power of our decisions. And I want to start by answering the question is why do we struggle to make good decisions? Why do we want to do the right thing, but we end up doing the wrong thing? So today is going to be more of a longer introduction to the series. But I want to take the time to really start us off on the, on the right foot, in the right direction. And then we're going to look at a lot of God's word in the upcoming weeks. But why do we struggle to make good decisions? I see at least three reasons. One is we're overwhelmed with choices. We're overwhelmed with choices. In fact, some studies show that we'll make upward of 35,000 decisions a day. From the moment you wake up, it's what do I eat? What do I wear? What do I look at first? Is it my phone? Is it my Bible? Is it my spouse? Is it my kids? Sometimes it's my kids jumping on me. I'm like, ah. <laughs> but do I scroll? Do I tap? Do I scroll past? Do I comment? Look at this. Look at that. How do I drive to work? What do I say to people at work all day long? And this is what happens. Because we make so many choices, our decision-making muscle becomes tired, becomes fatigued. And in fact, cognitive scientists have termed the phrase decision fatigue. 
And essentially what happens as the volume of decisions increase, the quality of our decisions decrease. Because we're making decisions day after day, moment after moment, all day long, our decision-making muscle gets really, really tired. And that's why you make difficult decisions and wise decisions all day at the office. And then you come home and you decide to binge eat at night. It's because you got tired of just making good decisions. Or you're making wise financial choices and you're saving, you're paying off debts, you're doing the right thing. And then you make this stupid purchase out of nowhere and blow a ton of money because of decision fatigue. At least that's what I'm gonna stick to. <laughs> we try to make good decisions, but because of the volume, the quality starts to decrease. The second reason, the second big problem for many of us is that we're afraid of making the wrong choice or choices. I found this to be especially true of those who are Christians because we're trying to follow Jesus and we don't want to miss out on God's will. And so a lot of times we'll analyze something. Well, I'm not sure if that's the perfect school. I'm not sure if that's the perfect job. I'm not sure if this is the perfect person to date. And since we aren't sure, sometimes we just don't make any decisions at all. And this is a real challenge, but we have to understand that indecision is actually a decision. I have to remind myself that all the time, that indecision is the enemy of progress. Because that's one of the traps I fall into, is that when I'm faced with too many decisions, it just paralyzes me and I freeze up. But why do we struggle to make good decisions? Well, we're overwhelmed with all the choices. We're afraid of making the wrong choice. And the one that I really want to drill down into is this. We let emotions overrule logic. This is where so many of us struggle and our decision-making process breaks down because we let emotions overrule logic, which is really, really interesting because on some decisions we spend so much time analyzing. And then other times, we just simply spur the moment. Sure, put it on my charge card. You probably do this. You spend more time analyzing what series to binge watch than you do actually binge watching it. Can anyone relate to that? That, that's me. Like, Amanda and I were always like, oh, we can't find a good series. And this used to be our pastime. We'd go to Blockbuster. For those of you who don't know what Blockbuster is, you'd rent VHS tapes, and it's a store like Netflix, but physical building. Well, Amanda and I would go there on, on the weekend, and we'd run into other people from church. It was a great social time, but then sometimes after spending an hour, we'd walk out without a movie. And now it's so much worse. But you see, sometimes we'll overanalyze a lot of decisions that don't really matter, but then we'll make impulse decisions on the things that do matter. So how this plays out is that your kid upsets you, and logic says, be patient, but emotion says, yell as loud as you can, right? And the emotion takes over the logic. Okay, I know I need to be patient, but you're killing me right now. And you just let them have it. Or you have some unexpected temptation, and your logic says that's dangerous, but your emotion says, 
hey, that looks pretty good. All right, let's party. And so often, it's the emotional decisions that end up hurting us or hurting others the most. And this is why it's so important that whatever you do, don't make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. Don't make decisions that are going to impact you for years to come based on the emotion that you feel in the moment. This is so wise. This is why it, you hear the business advice, don't quit when you're having a bad day. Because it's, it's the emotion that overrides the logic. I'm sure I've told this story several times, but at the church I was at out west years ago, the lead pastor and I just got into a doozy of an argument. And I called up Amanda and I'm like, pack your bags, we're moving back to Ontario, I'm done. And long story short, we worked through it, we reconciled, and I stayed there for another three years and we had a phenomenal working relationship together. But because we were polar opposites, there were times of conflict. But I was so glad that I didn't make a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion. So why do the decisions matter so much? Because the quality of our decisions determines the quality of our lives. We make our decisions and our decisions make us. So like I said, this is a long introduction to the theme that we're gonna study for the next few weeks. But one of the best ways to live a forward-looking, people-loving, God-glorifying life is to decide before what you're going to do later. One of the best spiritual tools you can do is to decide now what you want to do later. And that's why this series is called Pre-Decide. There's power in pre-deciding. It's the power of choosing ahead of time before you're in the moment. And our goal with God's help as followers of Jesus is to ask God to help us make some pre-decisions to decide ahead of time what we're going to do in the future so that we honor God when we have decisions to make. I love what Proverbs 16.3 says, that whatever you do, commit it to the Lord. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do. If you're dating somebody, commit your dating relationship to the Lord. If you're married, commit your marriage to the Lord. If you're a parent, commit your parenting and your children to the Lord. If you're making financial decisions, commit those decisions to the Lord. If you're making professional decisions, relational decisions, friendship decisions, what to wear decisions, what to eat decisions, commit everything to the Lord. And scripture tells us in the next part of that verse that he will establish your plans. When you seek him first in his kingdom, his righteousness, Jesus said, then everything else will be added unto you. So when we commit to the Lord, and there's no better time to do it than at the beginning of a new year, but when we commit our year to the Lord and we seek the Lord for our decisions, he will help give us plans so that we can pre-decide what we will do later while making the decision now. Now, I was running this idea by a pastor friend of mine recently while he was in town visiting, and his first instinct was, well, what room does that allow for the Holy Spirit? And I've had that pushback before, actually, with the pastor I served under out west. He kind of had the same 
critique when I, I took time in the summer to map out our youth year and the calendar. And there was pushback because it's like, well, what room does the Holy Spirit have to be able to jump in and maybe hijack some of those plans that you've created? But this was my response. We're inviting the Holy Spirit into our decisions now. And we're going to trust that he's speaking to us now so that we'll still be prepared for when that future moment comes. And there were times in that youth year that I had a series planned that we just had to throw away. We never even got to because other issues came up. But because I had invited God into that and because I had actually predecided and planned things out, I was able to be more spontaneous to the Holy Spirit's leading than if I had just gone and by the seat of my pants. Because what happens then is when we're just kind of making decision after decision, we get fatigued, we get tired, and then the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to do this, and it's like, no, sorry, I need to focus on what's coming up. So while we are pre-deciding now what we want to do later, we're inviting the Holy Spirit into this conversation. We're asking him to lead us. And here's how it plays out in our lives. With God's help, we're going to determine our course of action before the moment of decision. And it will look something like this. Whenever faced with this scenario, fill in the blank, should I look? Should I buy it? Should I reach out to this person? Should I respond? Should I yell? Whenever I'm faced with this scenario, I have pre-decided to take this action. We decide ahead of time with God's help by the truth of his word what we'll do in any given situation. So later on, if you know you have a problem with impulse purchases, for example, you start feeling yourself going there thinking this must be God's will, it's 10% off, but you've pre-decided that you're going to wait three days before you buy something. Or if you're always worried about something and you know anything could go wrong and you, you could just lose your faith in God and you start worrying, well, you're going to predecide that in the moment when you start to worry, instead of going to people, instead of going to the bottle and whatever it is you go to, you decide, I'm going to go immediately to God and I've predecided that I'm going to pray. I'm going to take my burdens and cast them on him. Or someone cuts you off in traffic, we're going to predecide that in that moment, you'll pray that they know Jesus and that they're going to go to heaven rather than telling them to go to hell. I love Pastor Craig Rochelle's line. He says this, this is his heart for the church. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. So with that spirit, they've already started having church in the metaverse, in the virtual reality things. They've seen people come to Christ through the metaverse. And I love it. He's willing to be a risk taker. But for us, if that means letting people cut us off in traffic, well then so be it. That person matters. So let's decide to not do what we would normally do. Let's predecide how we're going to respond in the moment. And when you look at scripture, what's so much fun is you see example after example of how God's people were predeciding now what they would do later. You see it over and over again. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, chapter 22, 
when God told Abraham, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. And Abraham's looking on thinking, that's ridiculous. Nobody would do that. This makes no sense. But in the past, Abraham had predecided about the future that my God is always trustworthy. And so whatever he asks me to do, I've predecided that I will obey and honor him. If you don't know the end of that story, he doesn't have to sacrifice his son, and God provides an alternate sacrifice. But he was willing to follow God. Same thing with Ruth. You can read this in Ruth chapter 1. She made a very strong commitment to Naomi and decided ahead of time that whatever happens in the future, no matter where you go, I'm going. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Daniel. We'll talk about him a bit more in the coming weeks, but this guy was the king of predecision. He and his friends were essentially taken hostage to a foreign land, and they were brainwashed. They were told, you have to think the way we think. You have to be educated the way we're educated. You have to eat the food we eat. But that would have been dishonoring to God. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Scripture says, Daniel resolved. So we could say it this way. He had already decided, he predecided not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He didn't wait until he got in the dining room to make that decision. He had pre-decided, because of my faithfulness to God, I'm not going to be weak in a future moment. I've already pre-decided to honor God no matter what. Why? Because he knew who and what he valued. So let me ask you this. As you move into a new year with a perfect chance to honor God, it's a fresh start. That's what we love about the new year. That's why we make New Year's resolutions. But let me ask you this. What do you value? What's the most important thing to you? When people talk about you or think about you, what do you want them to say or think? What do you want to be known by? What do you want to be characterized by? What do you want your reputation to be? What's that thing deep down inside of you that matters to you more than anything else? I want you to think about it, and I want you to talk about it with your friends. I would love to even start some small groups within our church community to have people that you could talk through this stuff with and work through it. But I want you to pray about it and commit everything to the Lord so he will establish your plans based on the values that he puts in your heart. So what do you value? Some might say, well, I value integrity, and I hope you do. Or you might say, well, I value faithfulness. I want to be faithful to my God and faithful to my friends, faithful to my spouse. You might say, I value purity. In a world of filth and lust, I want to honor God with a life of purity. You might say, I value generosity, and I want to be like God, and that God so loved the world, he gave his son. I want to be a giver like him. Clearly determine your values. Why does this matter so much? Well, it's because when your values are clear, your decisions are easier. When you know what you value, you can decide ahead of time, whenever I face this situation, I've already pre-decided based on God's word and the values that he puts in my heart, what I'm going to do. I've already pre-decided a particular action to take. So how will this play out? 
Well, what I promise you is it will play out again and again and again and again. And it'll save you from situations or unwise decisions that you might regret for the rest of your life. Because here's what happens. Decisions determine direction. And direction determines destiny. Our unwise decisions tend to compound negatively. And our wise, God-honoring decisions tend to compound in a positive, God-honoring way. So as you look at what you value, ask yourself, are your decisions moving in that direction? So here's a big, big question to think about, and that is this. If your life is moving in the direction of your decisions, do you like the direction your decisions are taking you? If you don't, it's time to take your life back. It's time to pre-decide to do something different. When I'm faced with this situation because of who my God is and because of what I value, I'm not going to wait until I'm in that situation to make a decision based on my emotions or whatever I'm feeling or if I'm weak. Instead, I'm going to predetermine. I'm going to predecide before I even get there that when I'm faced with this scenario, I've predetermined what action I will take. And why is this so important? Well, to be real, it's because I've noticed six negative qualities about me. And truthfully, as a pastor, most of these qualities are true about most of you. So what do I know? Well, first, I'm inconsistent. I want to be consistent. And I start off doing the right thing, but sometimes I get tired and I end up doing the wrong thing. I had to even eat some humble pie yesterday because as I was working on this message, a Facebook memory came up and it was one of my old youth leaders asking, hey, Kev, what are the details about this youth event? And I'm like, to be determined, I still have to work things out. And it was like two days before the event and I'm like, man, I still haven't developed my consistency. Also leads me to the second thing. I'm often unprepared. I have a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan, and Satan is attacking, and I often have my guard down. I'm unprepared. I can also be unintentional. Instead of being proactive and prayerful and intentional about my decisions, sometimes I'm kind of hands-off, lazy fair. I let life come at me rather than coming at life for the glory of God. Fourth, I hate to say this out loud, but by nature, I'm selfish. For example, when someone takes a photo of a group of us, I'm not looking at all the other people. I'm looking straight at me. There are eight people in there. I'm not looking at seven others. I'm like, do I look good in that picture? <laughs> How do I look? How does this impact me? What do I get out of this? What's it going to cost me? By nature, I'm selfish. Another problem is that I'm really short-sighted. I'll often do what feels good in the moment and not always think about the long-term consequences. And sixth, whenever things get tough, I tend to quit. I tend to give up. I tend to walk away. But hear me out, over the next few weeks, I want to try and compel you. 
I'll beg you, motivate you, whatever it takes to be a part of and experience these next few weeks of teaching. Because we're going to make six predetermined resolutions about who we are to combat these negative qualities. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Jesus was always telling people who they are. When your values are clear, your decisions are easier. So because we know where we're vulnerable, we're going to pre-decide that we are actually six things. And I want to show you what we're going to cover over the next six weeks. I'll start to the left with the gray word, ready. We're going to cover this next week. That when the devil attacks, we're not going to be unprepared. We're going to be on guard. We're going to be on watch. We're going to be praying, and we're going to be ready. It's so easy to be inconsistent on one day, off another day. But with the help of God, we're going to be consistent. So I'm actually going to invite everyone. Let, let's say this together. I am consistent. I am consistent. I'm going to have you repeat each of these words, just so it drives it home. In a world where people often stray from God and lose their passion, the devil tempts them to take God for granted, not be students of his word, not be glorifying him. We're going to be devoted. Oh, I jumped a word. <laughs> but let's say that together. I am devoted. In a world that tends to be selfish, we're going to be God-honoring. We're going to choose ahead of time that what I have belongs to God, and I'm going to be generous. So let's say, I am generous. We're going to decide ahead of time in a world where unfaithfulness seems to be the norm as followers of Jesus, we are not the norm. We are faithful. So I am faithful. And finally, Jesus said on the cross, I did everything the Father sent me to do. He said, it is finished. So we honor God with excellence. We don't back down. We don't back off. We don't walk away. We're finishers. So I am a finisher. One more time with God's help, we are pre-deciding as we enter into 2023 that we are not what the world says we are. We are not what the devil says we are. We are not what we did in the past. We are not what anybody else thinks about us. We are who God says we are. And when faced with a certain situation, we have pre-decided here is who we are and here is what we do. So as a reminder throughout this series, I've actually printed off uh, 50 stickers. And they're just like that, circle stickers. And I invite you to take one as you leave here today, slap it on a binder, a workbook, your prayer book if you're doing the listening prayer workshop to remind yourself that you're ready, consistent, devoted, generous, faithful, and a finisher. Because when your values are clear, your decisions are easy. And some really good news is that since we're not good decision makers, I want to tell you about Jesus. The good news is that we're not saved by the quality of our decisions but we're saved by the grace of God. And our Savior, Jesus, predecided in a garden called Gethsemane 
that no matter what comes his way, no matter what price he has to pay, no matter how hard it is, no matter the pain he endures, he predecided, not my will, but your will be done. And he gave his life so that we could have life with God here on earth. And so because of that, because God so loved the world, because he loved us, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to commit it all to him. We're going to commit everything. We're going to commit it to the Lord, and he will establish our plans. We determine the course of action before the moment of decision so that we can honor God in all that we do. So just as I wrap up, for the next six weeks, I invite you to step in, to press into the goodness of God. Let his word go deep into your heart to burn the values of the kingdom of God inside you. So you will know who you are. You predecide who you are because when you know who you are, you will know what to do. And church, the world needs us to be that light shining bright. So let's embrace this new year knowing that the best is yet to come. God is doing a new thing here at the well, here in Binbrook, across Hamilton, across our nation, around our world. I'm excited to have the Howells here next week sharing about their ministry happening over in Senegal. God is doing a new thing. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Our God is doing a new thing. So if you'll pray with me. Father, we just pray right now that you continue to do that. Stir within your church, God. Give us the wisdom, just like Jesus predecided to serve you no matter what, and to commit everything to you. Church, as you're praying today, I'm going to ask for an unusual and big commitment. And that is six weeks of your attention. It'll take an hour a week, and hopefully you'll join us here in person. Or if you have to miss, you can join us online or on the podcast. But I'm going to ask you, as we begin a new year, to commit at the beginning of the week an hour to worship and to hear God's word, to let his word conform you to the image of his son so that you can predecide six weeks. So I'm going to ask you, and don't raise your hand because you feel guilty, like, oh, I've got to raise my hand. I'm in church. But I want to ask, will you embrace this message for the next six weeks? Like, yes, I'll come to church. I'll watch it online. I'm going to take this in because I want to start my new year by committing everything to God so he can establish the plans of my heart. So if you'll commit to doing that with me, would you just lift up your hand right now? Just say, I am pre-deciding. And Father, I pray that by the power of your word, your word would do in us what we don't have the power to do so we can serve you and honor you. May the decisions that we make be based on the truth of your word and not the emotions we have in a moment. Give us wisdom, God, to commit to you and establish our plans.
And as we keep praying, the really good news is that our standing with God isn't based on the quality of our decisions. Because we've all decided to do things that are wrong and sinful, but our standing with God is based on the goodness of God. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus, his only son, who is perfect in every way, who died for the forgiveness of our sins. God raised him from the dead, and our response is to simply decide. Do you want to stand before God based on your own righteousness, or do you want to trust Jesus? Because when we trust him, his righteousness is imparted to us. We're forgiven not because we're perfect, but because he was perfect. And that's why the gospel is called good news. So today, if you're thinking, I don't know where I stand with God, or I need to make things right again, the good news is that in one moment, one prayer, you can simply trust the goodness of Jesus because of who he is. Will you decide to follow him and surrender your life to him? For all of us, let's simply pray, Heavenly Father, forgive my sins. Jesus, save me. I trust you. Fill me with your spirit so I can predecide to follow you, to show your love in all that I do. Thank you for new life. I give you all of mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church family, I hope that you have made the decision to pre-decide to join us for the next six weeks because it will change your life. I guarantee it. If you've prayed that prayer, if you've accepted Jesus, we want to journey with you. Let us know. Email us at hello at thewellbinbrook.com. Text or call us at 905-518-0168. We want to celebrate with you. We want to journey with you. And we want to know, how can we better serve you? Let us know in the comments. Make sure to like and subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.